<laughs> well, that was amazing. <laughs> you know, we'll, uh, we'll do whatever we need to do in any given situation. But there's nothing like <clears throat> live praise and worship. Just wakes you up. Wakes you up. Helps you move along in your adoration and your praise of God. Is he worthy to be praised this morning? Yeah. Amen. Amen. Very good. I'm excited. I'm excited not merely for the Niners. That was cool though. That was a that was a that was a good game. That was a good game. Um <laughs> you know the cool thing about I, I'm, I'll be real with you so like I said I'm a fan but uh, the cool thing is I never find myself praying to God about some football game <laughs> no. I'm, I'm, I'm amped up and you know adrenaline going but uh, you know I don't, I don't I just don't go to that place because I'm like you know all in all it's just it's just a game <laughs> but uh, nonetheless it was good that they won but I'm just I'm so excited I'm so excited to see uh, familiar faces back in the flesh, you know, and I know those that, that are online were, uh, were waiting to see you guys again as well. We love all of you, and uh, we're just grateful that God's favor is upon his people, and people are finding themselves um, healthy and in a good position uh, physically wise, and I'm sure uh, spiritually probably even in better shape, you know, because of things of this world, circumstances that come upon us, they drive us more closer to the Lord. Amen. All right. Uh, with that, I'm uh, excited to say that we are in Revelation chapter four. We started a new chapter last week, and we'll be uh, we'll be finishing up uh, <clears throat> the second part, uh, not of a series, but of uh, the the throne of God. So uh, when you get there, if you can, please stand for the reading of God's word. We'll be in Revelation chapter four, verses seven down through eleven. Seven through eleven second half of this two-part message all right thank you Dude, that, she is so on point every time <laughs> it's just you can you know you can't you can't um you, you can't make you can't make this stuff up it's not scripted that's just how the holy spirit moves it's super cool all right the first living creature like a lion the second living creature like an ox the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they, ne they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will, they existed and were created. Let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we are grateful that you've awakened the eyes of our hearts to recognize there's no mistake, that you are almighty God, that you deserve all honor, glory, and praise. Lord, I pray 
now that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, show us how important this portion of scripture is, how how intimate and personal we should take this, because this is specifically set up for us to understand our role in your kingdom and how we as saints of yours are to live uh, even on earth as it is in heaven. So, Father, uh, please now, would you speak? May you help us and help me to rightfully divide your word. May you give us the ability to apply these things to our lives. May we be forever changed by what we hear this morning for your good and for your honor and glory. It's in Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. And so, like I had mentioned just a brief moment ago, today we're looking at the second half of the Apostle John's experience as he, uh, so to speak, went into the Holy of Holies. He was, he was invited in. Jesus said, come in, come through this door. And, and, and what he saw was jaw-dropping, and what he saw would forever change him. And again, the Lord had uh, in, in, influenced him to write, pen down the things that he saw. We already know from last week that the Apostle John saw the throne of God, which is the focal point of heaven, as well as the one who sits upon that throne. There is a glory surrounding the throne of God, which is described as a radiant rainbow. We learned about that last week. Also, we learned about how this rainbow is a sign that God will not destroy the earth again with the flood. We talked about this last week, the misuse, unfortunately, of the rainbow, how man uh, uses that symbol is, is quite far from what that really means. There was also lightning and rumbling and thunder that came from the throne of God. This was a sign of God Almighty's unmatched power, his complete rule, his complete reign, and his authority to administer righteous judgment. That's what those those things represented. We also learned about the smaller thrones that were surrounding the actual throne of God and those who sat upon those smaller thrones. These 24 elders who represent regenerated humanity in all of its resurrected glory, those who have received their glorified bodies and those who have been placed in that position of worship and authority. We also learned about the seven spirits of God, the scripture says, that also sit around the throne of God. The seven spirits represent the sevenfold completeness of the spirit of God. Now, the number seven, completeness or completion, is uh, signified readily within the Bible. There was also, as it were, a shiny sea of glass like crystal in front of the throne of God. And lastly, we learned last week about the four living creatures in the center and around the throne who were covered with eyes all around them. And those eyes all around their bodies signified awareness and intelligence. They're very intelligent beings that were created. They weren't just robots. Uh, they weren't just weird. It, it may be, it's very difficult for our minds to get around these things because these things are outside of space and time. They are heavenly things. They're not things that are earthly seen, but nonetheless, they are real and they are true. Today, we will look at what is actually going to take place around the throne of God. And this should be super exciting and super important for all of us because as true believers, we actually have uh, the privilege to take part in this. And this is what eternity 
at least a portion of it is going to look like. We have several main points this morning, and the first one is this. True, true, authentic worship is a main activity for those in heaven. Now, I understand worship is, can be signified in many different ways. A lifestyle of worship, uh, 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 worship in song and praise. There are many different facets to worship. But the acknowledgement of God being almighty and him being omnipotent and omnipotent and him being unmatched and unrivaled and willingly sharing that and, and submitting before him, that is what the Bible is talking about as true authentic worship. As we learned last week, all of creation will bow in submission to God in heaven. There are no ifs, ands, or buts about this. There will be no defiance of any kind going on against God, the Trinity, like here on earth. You see, in our earth we live in, there are many that, that hold a clutch fist, so to speak, of defiance and rebellion in pride and arrogance against the true living God. Many post themselves up as God themselves. They want to be their own God. They want to be in charge of their own lives and have no, uh, not have to answer to anyone. But in heaven, it won't be like that. In heaven, Jesus Christ will be the centerpiece as he should be. With that, true authentic worship will take place in heaven honoring God. It has been said that if you struggle to get up out of your seat to honor and glorify God through song and praise here on earth, that you are going to have a very difficult time in heaven because that is what every creature will be doing there. That's what every creature will be doing there. You won't be standing around with your hands in your pockets with your mouth shut when it comes to praising God in heaven. No, it won't be like that. You won't be concerned about your neighbor. And if they had a bad hair day, you won't be concerned about the lady that wears that strong, cheap perfume. <laughs> I'm not saying that anybody's wearing that in here. I'm just, you know, throwing stuff out there. You're not, you're not going to be preoccupied with other things. You're going to be solely focused on honoring and praising God. You will be filled with gratitude. And this gratitude will produce within you a glorious shout. A shout that cannot be contained. A shout that can't be muzzled up. It's something that's going to bellow out of the core of your being. Because you're in the presence of Almighty God. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 tells us, Through Him, let us, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge His name. Now see, this verse is in context to how true believers should be living here upon the earth. How much more will this apply when we are in heaven for eternity, unhindered by the effects marred by sin? You see, that's why the Bible says, when we are in God's presence in heaven, it will be a continual offering of praise and worship to Him as He is deserving. The second main point is this. The God of heaven is a God of order. When we look at these verses very closely, we see a distinct order in how worship of God unfolds in heaven. First, we see the four living creatures glorifying Almighty God. The scriptures say, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down 
before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. This is extremely important to take note because this reveals that there are no lone rangers in heaven. There's nobody doing their own thing. There's nobody sliding off, (laughs) exit left to go do something else. Everybody is there in one accord with one purpose in mind. Everyone is like-minded. There is a genuine oneness about those in heaven and everybody's good with it. You know, unfortunately we see divisiveness even flooding into the church uh, nowadays. Whether it's over politics, whether it's over all these mandates, whatever it may be. Whether, sometimes, well, the only good thing is when it's about if the doctrine's not right. <laughs> but if it's, if it's anything else, it's very sad to see that the church is divided over trivial things, over things that are not a salvational issue, over things that the enemy is trying to use to manipulate weaker believers into taking this side or that side and being pinned against one another in Christ, and it should not be. There should be a like-minded one accordness within the church of Jesus Christ. Like God created Adam first, there is a purpose in mind for that. God is the God of order, not disorder. You see, even our lives here upon earth should follow a holy order. They really should. We, we need to be aware of, of, of what we're doing. A quick example is your daily routine, my daily routine. If you give God the first fruits of your time, your day will always be more fulfilling than if you were to give, give him over to your leftover scraps of time and just put, squeeze them in, you know, starting your day off. Again, you wake up, you could wake up and in your bed, praise God, thank him for keeping your body awake or, or you know, alive throughout the night you can get out of bed and drop to your knees but it's just that acknowledgement that he is the sustainer of your life getting into a habit amen of a lifestyle of 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 quickly acknowledging god and earnestly seeking him you see because it's not about the length of a prayer it's about the depth of our prayers and what is the meaning behind Is, is is there actual authenticity behind what we're doing and what we're saying to god because all that long-windedness, the Pharisees did that, and it was very, again, Pharisaic. It was very stale and cold and robotic. But is your passion Christ? Is your passion the acceptance of the good that's been done to you? The fact that he gave his life for you and me, wretched sinners, and now we're regenerated. Now we can have unhindered fellowship with him. That should drive us to constantly be on alert and aware of just the relationship we have with him and want to hear from him and want to talk to him about all things. If you give God the first fruits of your time, your day will always be better. Even if you go through hell, your day is going to be better. And I'm sure many of you have already experienced that. Your day is so much better when you give God all of you, the best of you in the early morning. All right, the third main point is this. In heaven... You and I will not get tired of doing what is right. The text goes on to say the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. This side of heaven, we can't comprehend that. We say we understand that, but we really don't understand eternity because forever is a very long time. 
<laughs> it's a very long time. I'm, I'm sure I've said it many times. I have a client that he's infatuated with infinity. And he's like, Keefing, how long will I have to write <laughs> numbers on paper in eternity? I said, Brian, I can't answer that because it's going to just be forever. <laughs> you're going to be for, you're hurting my brain. I can't have this conversation with you, Brian. It's not 60, 70, 90, 100 years. It never ends. It never ends. And so in our glorified bodies, unhindered by sin, sickness, tiredness, or death, we will worship Jesus Christ, God the Father, and the Holy Spirit forever. Forever we will be able to do this. You see, but this is why here on earth, Jesus has to be real to you and me personally. You see, if you and I haven't had that true Damascus Road experience when we're knocked off the pride horse and we're able to see us for who we are apart from Christ and have come to understand that our desperate need for Him, for Him to be the Savior and Lord of our life, if we haven't had that experience, we are not going to worship Him forever. We won't be prepared. We won't be equipped to worship Him in that manner. Many here on earth have a very difficult time worshiping Him for a few songs. <laughs> a few songs. There's some people like, man, is it? you know, I know the, 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 the southern churches, man, they go for a long time. <laughs> they, they'll worship for an hour and they don't, even have, they don't even have the preacher preach. They'll go for a lunch break downstairs, <laughs> come back up, you know, do that song of praise for a little bit later, and then, and then they'll finally get into the Word. You know, I say that jokingly, but it's so true. Some of us have a very difficult time worshiping and praising God here on earth. But you see, when you and I truly understand what has been done for us? Standing up and giving them a shout or a praise from the top of our lungs is nothing. Now, I'm not saying, because that's very legalistic to say if someone's very solemn in their approach to praising the Lord, that they're not worshiping Him. God has created us all in different ways, and we have all different ways of expressing that praise and worship. But again, it's a heart condition. It's a heart condition. Because there's many people that are screaming hallelujah from the top of their lungs, but they're living like hell. So it's not about that. Please don't get me wrong when I share this. What I'm saying is it all comes down to an authentic heart. If our hearts have truly been changed and regenerated and we truly understand God for who He is and what He's done for us, it's a reasonable service <laughs> to praise and worship Him for His mercy and His grace being shed upon our lives. The Bible is clear in Luke chapter 19, verse 40. He answered... I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. We should never let a rock outworship us. Amen? <laughs> All right. Let's go ahead and look at verse 7. It says, The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. John described four cherubim, each with a different face. From the comparisons with Ezekiel chapter 1, verses 6 through 10, we can see that each of these creatures have four faces. And at the moment, John saw each one of the four different faces pointed in his direction. The significance of these four faces has been 
interpreted in many ways. And again, like I had mentioned last week, I don't claim to be a master at any of this. I'm simply seeking the Lord and trying to rightfully divide this information as best I can. But let's narrow this down and look at the two interpretations that seem to line up the best with the rest of Scripture. The four different faces of the cherubim are often taken as symbols of Jesus Christ as represented in each gospel, the New Testament. In, in classical church architecture, these four characters are repeated often. That signifies both heaven and the four gospels. But because there's no specific connection between the four faces of the cherubim and a particular gospel, different traditions have connected these faces of the cherubim in different ways. I'm just putting that out there because that's kind of the, the, the angle that you get when you come to this portion of scripture. So some have seen the book of Matthew as the lion gospel, showing Jesus as the lion, the tribe of Judah. The gospel of Mark is seen as the ox gospel, showing Jesus as a humble servant, a worker. Luke is seen as the man gospel, showing Jesus as the perfect man, the second Adam, right? The perfect man. The book of John is seen as the eagle gospel, showing Jesus as the man from heaven, from the sky. But it is probably safest to say that the four faces are important because they represent all of animated creation in its utmost excellence. The lion is the mightiest of wild animals, excuse me. The ox, strongest of domesticated animals. The eagle is the king of all birds. And man is highest of all creation. So we have to ask the question, what is the significance of these creatures and how do they actually apply to my life? You see, because many times we can read this portion of scripture and shy away from it and be like, that's just weird. <laughs> I just don't, I'm just intimidated by it, Lord. I don't, I don't understand what this means to me personally. But the application is this. Each creature has a kingdom and a certain magnificence, but they are all placed under the throne of glory to show that no creature is to exalt itself in this world and that the kingdom of God is over all. These creatures may be considered the representatives of all of creation. You see how there is so much different from Lucifer, uh, pre-Satan. <laughs> He's a created creature, but he exalted himself above the authority of God. And he thought that he could do that without repercussion. And we see clearly that's not the case. Any Creation that exalts itself over its maker will face harsh uh, circumstances and be humbled severely. As well, it, it is significant to see that the Bible associates a face with the idea of a person. You can read about that in 1 Chronicles chapter uh, 12, verse 8, 2 Chronicles chapter 29, verse 6, and you can also read about that in Isaiah chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 15. Here we have singular beings with four faces. I'm not an expert on this, but apparently there are beings that can be more than one person. Just look at our God, the Godhead, the Trinity, right? Our God is one God in three persons, three personalities in one. So it's not far-fetched. It's not inconceivable that these angels are described in the way that they are here in verse 7. Okay, let's move on to verse, verse 8. And it says, and the four living creatures, each of them with six wings are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, 
Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. That's a classic saying. We've heard that if you've grown up within the church, uh, you know, in church, you've heard that over and over. Many hymns and songs have been dedicated to this, this phrase and the meaning of this phrase. So again, we are given specific description of these four living creatures. But you see, what's interesting about this is that they have no relation to what many of us think about when we think of angels. They are not small, baby-like, naked, <laughs> with two wings playing a harp on a cloud. This is not what we see in this description of these angelic beings. No, the scripture says that they have six wings and eyes all around them. It's okay, baby. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I have that effect sometimes. <laughs> so what is the significance of these four creatures having six wings? What, what is this about? So these types of heavenly beings have six wings, but they only use two of them to fly. It sounds strange to us to use wings to cover your, their face and their feet. They, they may well be covering these things because being so close to God, they would witness his full glory which would be way too powerful for them to behold. Remember the situation with Moses, right? God had to just skirt by and uh, he only got a glimpse because if he would have seen you know, God in all of his glory, he would not be able to handle it in his, in his uh, finite state. Feet are considered unclean in the Jewish culture and not worthy to be shown to God. And again, their many eyes represent their awareness and their great intelligence. And so that's why we see uh, them described in this way. And the scripture goes on to say, they do not rest day or night saying, holy, holy, holy. They constantly repeat this phrase, holy, holy, holy. Holy meaning set apart. God is set apart, not like uh, creation in the sense that he has no creator over him. He is he is outside of space and time. He is limitless. He is matchless. He is the true Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. God's holy nature and character is declared and emphasized with a three-time repetition. You see, in Hebrew, the double repetition of a word adds emphasis, while the rare threefold repetition shows the highest degree and calls attention to the infinite holiness of God, hence the phrase, holy holy, holy. The scripture goes on to say that they do not rest. These beings do not rest. They have no rest, and yet they have no unrest either. So it's not like they're like running out of breath. Holy, 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 holy. You know, they're like fourth quarter sweating. I need a Gatorade. Holy, holy, holy. Coach, bring in a sub. Holy, holy, holy. No, they're not doing that. They're not doing that. The sweet content they take in their continual role of worship leads them to be not having need for rest. This speaks to the idea of being eternally alive in Jesus Christ. You see, when we are in our glorified bodies, 
before the Lord in heaven, we won't wear down. You know, oh man, my arthritis, <laughs> carpal tunnel, you know, all these things, you know, man, my hair gets gray. I, I don't die, but for those who do die, you're not going to have to die anything no more. Spending a lot of money, a lot of time messing up the sink, stains everywhere, towels messed up. You're not going to have to do all that. You're not going to have to get new pair of lenses because your eyes are getting dimmer and dimmer. Not in your glorified body. <laughs> you see, you won't wear down. You won't get sick. We're not even going to be tripping off this whatever new thing it is. This whatever. I don't even know. I can't even keep up with all these different variants. But it's not. we're not going to have to wear no masks. <laughs> You're not going to be tired in heaven. Since there will be no sin in heaven, everything will be perfect, uninterrupted by the effects of sin. And we know that the Bible is clear. Sin, sin excuse me, brings death, but there will be no more sin in heaven. The text goes on to, to, to list a, a, a title of God, Lord God Almighty. You see, these angelic beings declare that the Lord God is almighty. In Revelation chapter 1, verse 8, the ancient Greek word is pantocrator. Is that correct, Daniel? I know Daniel can pronounce these very good. Pantocrator, with the idea that the one who has his hand on everything. If I'm not pronouncing that correct, I'll get a lesson from Daniel after service. <laughs> but this is the idea here. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8 says, I am, speaking of God Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. This, this term who was and is and is to come. This repeats another idea from Revelation chapter 1 and refers to God's eternal being. It translates the thought behind the meaning of the name Yahweh. All right, let's go ahead and look at this last portion of Scripture, these last few verses. Uh, verses 9 down through 11. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sit on the throne, who lives forever and ever... The 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, O our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. So we see this phrase Whenever the living creatures give glory, speaking of those four living creatures, the 24 elders also fall down before the Lord God Almighty. You see, the worship of the 24 elders is prompted by these cherubim. Since the cherubim worship God day and night, so do the elders. This, again, speaks to the idea of God being a God of order. Knowing angels should worship God should prompt our worship as well. Just think about it. Angels worship him nonstop, right? They worship him because not only were they created to do so, but they understand, they see him up close and personal. They recognize the, majest the, the majesty and the greatness of God. But when th we think about ourselves, do we have any less means to praise him or thank him? Do we sing as much as the birds do? You know, you wake up in the morning and you hear the birds chirping. You know, they have their language and they're, they're praising the Lord. They're thanking him for what he has done. The rooster, as annoying as that rooster can be, it's cock-a-doodle-dooling to the praise and glory of God. Dogs barking. I don't know dog, 
But uh, <laughs> I think dogs are barking to the praise and glory of God. Cats, I really, I'm not a cat person. I can't stand cats. But uh, cats are meowing and purring to the glory in, uh, of God. All of creation is doing that. Do we sing as much as the angels do? Do you have a song of praise and worship in your heart? You know, when you're at home and you're doing mundane tasks, what is your countenance like? What is the condition of your heart? Are you grumbling, bitter, and complaining doing dishes for an hour? (laughs) Are you frustrated and upset when dealing with situations at work that are not favorable on your behalf? Or does your heart have a song and a praise of worship and you have a love of long-suffering like your Savior Jesus Christ and you deal with circumstances and people despite uh, things not being in your favor or the way you'd like? You see, these are questions we have to ask because it's not necessarily just a, a, a physical, literal song. It can be that as well. But it is... That manner in how we live, the manner in how we engage with humanity. How are we? How is our hearts? Are our hearts singing a praise and glory to God? You see, these cherubim, they worship God day and night, forever and ever, and yet they were never redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ. They never experienced that redemptive work They never saw the mercy and the grace of God being extended to them in such a unique and personal way. The application is this. We as believers have this great privilege to worship and praise God, to look forward to this in heaven. But the reality is you and I are not in heaven yet. We are here today. What is the date? Uh, January 23rd, 2022. You're still here. Unless your heart stops and you go to the hospital tonight, you'll be in a box or you'll be in an urn. But for now, you are here, (laughs) front and center. You're in the flesh, which means you can still literally worship God now in this life. You don't have to wait till you get to heaven to have that song of praise bellowing out of your core of your being. The scripture, Psalms uh, chapter 19, verse 14 tells us, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Don't miss that because that's so profound. I mean, that sets the stage for your lifestyle in Christ. I mean, he says he doesn't say that his his thoughts And his words are acceptable, but he's saying, Lord, please have mercy upon me. Let my mouth, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. You see, we can live a genuine lifestyle of worship by meditating upon Jesus Christ and the things of God. You see, that's why this is an interactive thing, folks. It's not autopilot. It's not... I get dunked in some water. Somebody gives me a Bible. I come to a Sunday service. I come to a midweek service and that's it. That's so robotic and so plain. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for a regenerated, changed heart. It's like 
What am I doing when nobody's around? What am I doing when I'm thrumming through the guide on the television and something odd pops up? Am I like enamored by it for a little bit? Or am I like, no, let me get off that because I'm meditating on the things of God. And I already know that God has a tune and a tone in me that I'm not going that way. Or, you know, say your spouse says something smart and you're like, it, it, it's, it's, it, it not, it's not even meant to be offensive, but you take it in a way where you're like, what? Where's your heart? <laughs> are, you, are you quick to be meek about it and not, and not take it personal? Or are you ready to jump back and lash out? You see what I'm saying? These are all things that if we are living a genuine lifestyle of worship, meditating upon the things of Jesus Christ, we are going to see the fruit of it. You see, what we focus our minds on the most will inevitably become a reality in our lives. And I'm not talking about that that weak sauce, the secret. If you think it, you're going to get it. Oh, if I think about Alexis long enough, I'm going to have Alexis. No, it's not that. It's are we focused, if we're focused on the things of God, if we're focused on you know, the way that he taught us to live and, and how to deal with people and how to come before him and, and how I talked about the, uh, last week, or I talk about it often, when we come to the house of God, I know that some mornings are hectic. I get that. Sometimes mornings are are just reckless in my house. But we should be coming into the house of God with the mindset of, I'm not coming to receive, I'm coming to give praise, honor, a sacrifice of honor and praise to God for what he has done. You see, the supernatural byproduct of that is you're going to get everything you need. But you don't come with, I'm coming to receive. That is totally the wrong mindset to come to the house of God or to come before God with. He's not a genie. We don't treat him like that. Again, when we have the right understanding, when we really understand, we, it's so real to us. Man, I've been saved from my wickedness. I'm a wicked sinner that deserves death. And that's real. But then you see the grace and the mercy. You're going to come in <laughs> and you're going to be like, man, Lord, I love you so much. Thank you. Thank you for your mercy and your grace. Thank you that you've kept my health. My gosh, people are dying around me left and right. And yet you're sustaining me, Lord. You're keeping me from all of these things. You're keeping me from the cancer and the curses. And I'm not saying that people get cancer and get sick, that they don't have the hand of God on them. Clearly we know this whole pandemic. I I can't stand when people say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm not going to catch the virus. Please stop. That's like saying I can eat cheeseburgers and hamburgers and hot dogs all my life, but I got hypertension on both sides of my family and I'm not going to get high cholesterol and catch a heart attack. Come on now. You got to be sensible about what's going on. So I'm not saying that. I'm not talking about being prideful. What I'm saying is just walking in the true vein of the reality of what Jesus Christ has done for you and I. It's going to cause us to naturally get whatever we need. But it starts with a humility. And a humility says... I'm not seeking for what I can get, but I'm seeking for what I can give. Isn't that what Jesus did? Jesus did that, right? So I don't understand why sometimes we get into the mindset of like, I'm looking for me. (laughs) I'm looking for me. You will get taken care of. You come to God with all you have to offer him, and he will give you exactly what you need. Amen? It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful concept. It's something that we should never let go of in our Christian life. You see, if we focus on worldly things, no matter what they are, 
we are going to be influenced by those things. Again, I bring up, I bring up the, it's a corny uh, uh, example, but again, the 49ers. I enjoyed watching that game. But you see, I believe that the Lord has my life in order to where I can enjoy that game, but I'm not, I'm not enamored by that. I'm not so sucked into it. that you know, I, I, I was watching the Niner game last week against the Cowboys, and the camera guys, man, they were showing Cowboys fans. They were crying. Ladies were like this, and my wife tried to. My wife tried to say, "Well, you don't know she might be pregnant because if she's pregnant, she know they get kind of hormonal." I said, "No, nobody should be crying over a stinking sports game. That's just ridiculous." Maybe I'm being too harsh. If I am, I'm not sorry, because I'm like, "Come on now, it's not like your child like cracked their head open in the in the bathtub, and you know I can understand that being a little frantic and you're ah, what's going on? that would be me." Ah, ah, trying to call Kaiser, not knowing what to do. What do we do? Oh my gosh, bleeding the blood everywhere. But it's a football game. <laughs> Come on. I mean, you're that vested into that. You can enjoy it, but not be so enamored by it. That's why I learned something a long time ago. And it was the use of the word love. And I teach this to my kids. Don't say you love Ryan. <laughs> Don't say you love uh, whatever, Cocomelon. You can like it. You can like it a whole lot. But, but love, love carries such a strong meaning and such a depth to it. Love should be set aside for God and for people, not for things and activities. But you see, some people be like, oh, you're just, you're too, you're over-spiritualizing everything. No, I'm, thinking, I'm seeing the reality of things. And you want to know why people's lives are so messed up and erratic and a mess. It's because they're loving all kind of stuff and loving all kind of activities and loving all kind of success when they should be simply giving love to God and to people. But again, when we're darkened by sin, we don't see these things clearly. When we don't have the Holy Spirit living within us, or if we've come to uh, you know, hinder the work of the Holy Spirit within us, then, then we can't see clearly. We can't see clearly what's going on. The 24 elders, they fall down before him who sits on the throne and they worship God. Worship means to credit worthiness or worth to God. The elders credited God for their own work and reward. And they did this as they cast down their crowns before God. You know, I I was always, always tripped out when I didn't know what this meant, you know, years ago. And I was like, you know, when I when I heard of that group group casting crowns and, you know, I, I just enjoy their music very much. You can tell that it's very powerful. You can tell that their lives have been changed by um, the gospel and the, the Holy Spirit. And I always thought that's super cool. You know, they get it <laughs> to, 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 to name their group that, you know, casting my crown, casting crowns, casting my crown before the throne of God. You see, these elders recognized that the worth and the worthiness belong to God and God alone, not themselves. Again, this is this whole idea of I'm relinquishing what's been given to me because only you are worthy, not me. I'm not, I don't count myself worthy. I'm not going to sit up on my soapbox and be prideful about what I think I've accomplished or what I've been given because I know it's all been given because of the glory of God and because of his mercy and his grace. Casting the crown simply is acting out their declaration 
which says, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. If God was worthy of glory, honor, and power, then he is the one that should get the crown. Amen? He should get the crown. He should get the crown alone. You see, the culture of this time would have understood this illustration because it was common practice in the Roman Empire. The emperor of Rome ruled over many lesser kings, and these kings were, would at times, were at times excuse me, commanded to come before the emperor and lay their crowns down before him in homage to pay respect to Caesar. Um, then Caesar would give back their crowns as a demonstration that their crowns are right to rule their, and their victory came from him. That was the symbolism in that. The crowns mentioned in Revelation chapter 4, verse 10 are the crowns of victory, not of royalty. These are the crowns of achievement that a winning athlete would receive at the ancient Olympic Games. You see, the 24 elders, they represent all of redeemed, the redeemed people in God. They, they, they threw every achievement that they ever accomplished, every reward they had handed it back to God because they knew and they proclaimed that he alone was worthy to receive all honor and power. This helps us to understand that you and I should never become puffed up over what God has allowed us to achieve. Never. We should never do that. Every bit of victory, success, and achievement that you and I obtain is all because of the Lord. Because he has given it to us. He has given us the God-given abilities and he works through us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he gives us opportunities to exercise these gifts that have been given to us. Amen. Amen. We owe all to Jesus Christ alone. Great example of this is uh, the, the, the movie or the documentary, um, documentary, excuse me, American Underdog. I haven't seen it, haven't been to the theater in like two years, but I've seen the commercial. And, uh, you know, I was a fan of Kurt Warner way before this documentary came out. You know, on the grandest stage, you know, Rams, St. Louis Rams, I think at the time they were, and he won the Super Bowl. He won the Super Bowl. And the first thing out of his mouth was, I give all honor and praise and glory to my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He didn't thank the head coach. He didn't thank the organization first. He didn't thank the strengthening and conditioning coaches. He didn't thank, uh, you know, whoever, whatever city was putting on the Super Bowl. He didn't thank the team. He thanked his Lord his, and his Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and I, I think that's a great example. Because again, who do you give honor and glory to? Who do you acknowledge for what you, you do and why you do it and how you accept these, these things. We should be willing to open up our mouth and say that it is Jesus Christ alone who has done these things for us. Mm-hmm. Notice that the text goes on to say that they all, all of the 24 elders, cast their crowns before God. The application is this. There are no divided opinions in heaven. There are no sects Sex, not S-E-X, S-E-C-T-S. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. (laughs) All right, good. I want to be sacrilegious up here in the pulpit. There are no opposing parties. There are no schemists, right? They all did this. They were all in perfect harmony and in one accord. What one does, all do. And you think about it. We are the body of Christ, right? So we should move in that manner as well if Jesus Christ is the head of the body. But you see, 
it's unfortunate and I'm, I'm not poking I'm not poking and I'm not I'm not I'm not boasting about us as if we're any better than any other part of the body but unfortunately what I tend to see a lot of is I, I think I see a lot of decapitated churches <laughs> I see a lot of churches where it's like Christ ain't the head what are y'all doing and they're doing it in the name of Jesus Christ but you know Paul talked about it there was going to be another Jesus being preached and see, you don't want to be deceived into following this false Jesus that a lot of these churches and a lot of these pastors and preachers are teaching. You want the Jesus from the Bible, clear, uncut, raw, Jesus as he is. And this is what we want. <laughs> they cast their crowns down with no exception before the throne. We, we, maybe you're already practicing that, but we need to get into the habit of this more and more. It should, be, it should be something that we incorporate in our daily lives. You see, especially nowadays as fellow Christians, let us get rid of everything that would divide us from one another and separate us from our Lord. We can't allow that divisiveness to come into the church and to, to, to rip us apart and put us at odds against one another. The only thing that should ever be brought up when it's that serious is, it's, is it a salvational issue? If it's a salvational issue, then we need to sit that brother or that sister down and we need to figure out a way to kind of gauge the conversation and get them to understand that what they're believing is a lie. But aside from that, I don't care what you vote. You'll never hear me tell you you need to vote for one party or the other. You do whatever you believe is right, what you've sought the Lord to make your decision, and that's fine. I think that's the beauty of living in America, that you can have opinions on different things in politics, and it shouldn't divide the church. Maybe it divides the rest of society who are ungenerated, unregenerated, I should say, but for us, we shouldn't let those things divide us. If you look, there wasn't a single elder who envied his brother's crown. This is another thing. There was no envy. Oh man, yours is shinier than mine. I wanted that Jasper. Why do why you get all those diamonds? Man, I wanted rubies. What the heck? What? My, mine's dingy. Mine doesn't look as shiny as yours. <laughs> They're not tripping. They're not tripping. They're like, man, I'm going to take this thing off, Lord. Ugh. You're so worthy to receive it. I give it to you. I give it to you and I thank you. I thank you that you even called me to be worthy enough to even to receive a crown from you. They were all unanimous in glorifying God. The text goes on to say, for you created, speaking of God, you created all things and by your will, they exist and were created. The 24 elders worship God because of his creative power and glory. I mean, all you have to do is and we got some good rain. You look at those foothills, man. It kind of looks like Dublin. <laughs> Lou and Michelle live by there, so they get to see those every day. Nice little green pasture. I mean, it looked beautiful. That's part of God's creative handiwork. I mean, and, 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 the, and he says, this is my footstool. This place that we, we you know, try to save the whales and save the rain. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to be inconsiderate to, to those things. I understand that, yes, we are too to steward those things well, but people are so busy trying to do all this and <laughs> save all that. And God says, this is my footstool. Man, I pushed out my foot on this. You guys have ottomans that you put your feet on <laughs> at home? That's what he said this is to him. But it's so beautiful. But at the same time, it's just, he's just like, 
nah, man, this is just one thing, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to burn up one day. I got something so much better for you, and that's what we're talking about, what's going to go on in the Holy of Holies in heaven. The fact that God is creator gives him all the right and every claim over everything, even as a potter has all rights and claims over the clay. I love this verse, Romans chapter 9, verse 21. Has the potter no right over the clay to make out the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? As the worship team comes up, the application is this. God's right over us as creator is a fact that can be accepted and enjoyed and should be, right? We can accept it and be like, Lord, you are God I am not, and I'm so okay with you being God. Please be God in my life. Or we can reject it and be defiant and say, no, I rebel. I don't care if you say you're God. You're not God. I'm God. (laughs) That's humanism. I make myself as God. But that will lead to frustration and bitterness. You see, there is a tremendous value in our recognizing our creatureliness, if I could say that word, before God. You see, each exists... Each person exists to give glory and pleasure to God in how we live and how we live out our lives. Until we do that, we will not fulfill our created purpose. You see, because they represent all the people of God, the worship, the crown, the robes, the heart of these 24 elders belongs to us as well. These are things that we get to look forward to. I'll end with this quote from Charles Spurgeon. There is a throne in heaven that no one can occupy but you. There is a crown in heaven that no other head can wear but yours. There is a part in the eternal song that no voice can ever compass but yours. And there is a glory to God that would be wanting if you did not come to render it. And there is a part of infinite majesty and glory that would never be reflected unless you should be there to reflect it. Let us take hold of what's ours and be proud in that. You can be prideful. There is a righteous pride. Be proud in what God has done for you and be willing to shine for the glory of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I just thank you (laughs) that, Lord, you, you give these things. You give them freely. It costs us nothing, but it costs you everything. So our gratitude should be on overload. Lord, may you empty us of ourselves and fill us fresh so that we may be poured out. And Lord, would you give us that supernatural strength and wisdom, vision and direction so that we wouldn't grow weary. May we be those that like the Apostle Paul, finish our race and finish it strong. Lord, there is much work to be done for your kingdom. There are many souls in this area that need saving and we have the key. We have the truth. Lord, may you help us to do so and be faithful witnesses. In Jesus Christ's name I pray. Amen.